Hey, everybody, it's Bob Rivers here, and uh, welcome to another Bob Rivers Show pop-up podcast. And what I've been doing with these lately is using them as an excuse to have interesting conversations with some of the most fascinating people I know and have met over my lifetime. Some are very dear friends, and sometimes I just lasso people into coming that I don't know at all. Uh, tonight, we have two very dear friends. One, nearly a lifelong friend, um, co-hosting with me is Steve Stockman. Steve and I have been in radio together. Uh, well, he's not in radio now. God bless him, because who would want to? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say that. But um, Steve has been in radio with me since the early 1980s. Steve Stockman is the author of the book, How to Shoot Video That Doesn't Suck. He's a film producer of uh, a film starring Sally Field. He's a consultant. He's a teacher. He's also an avid hiker, uh, like I am, although neither of us are going to compare with our headliner guest who's joining us. So in addition to Steve Stockman, my former neighbor and author, photographer, uh, pro, you know, I don't know how you say professional hiker, but one of the most elite hikers in the country is Tammy Asars. Hey, I'm Tammy Asars. I'm an author for Mountaineers Books, and we are hanging out in section five, so call me to Stevens Pass from my guidebook, Hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, Washington. We're currently up on Escondido Ridge. It's also known as Section J, um, but this is just absolutely gorgeous. It's a beautiful September day, and uh, there's absolutely no place that I would rather be right now. And so let me bring you both in now and say hi to you guys. Hi, Bob. Howdy, Tammy. Steve. <laughs> How are you? I am, you know what? I'm doing pretty well considering all, all is going reasonably well. And, uh, I am, uh, I am thrilled tonight to, uh, to have this conversation because it's, uh, it's fall and there's something about this time of year that I think is universal, whether my friends are in new England, up in Washington, or even here in the um, Southwest desert, fall is the time you walk outside and go, wow, this is perfect weather. I wish I could freeze it, you know what I mean? And don't worry, soon enough you will freeze it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> to start off and how we got together tonight, uh, Tammy's written a book about fall hikes, which uh, for me, leaf peeping season has always been about New England because that's where I grew up. Uh, but Tammy, you've written a book about fall hikes in the Pacific Northwest. Tell us just briefly a little bit about it. Yeah, so uh, most people think of, like you said, New England and all the uh, conifers out there and their gorgeous sort of arboretum-like feel. But here in the Northwest, we have larch trees, which are changing colors, which if you're not familiar with it, uh, there is another name called tamarack that some people may know them by, um, but they are deciduous conifers. Um, and what a cool thing. So we have these beautiful, beautiful gold trees right now popping up in our backcountry. We have huckleberries. We have the, the huckleberries in all different 
heights because we have the dwarf ones that are a little itty bitty in the meadows. We have the taller ones that are turning color. We have, uh, let's see, elderberry, which is turning color. There's just a lot of shrubs that sort of complement the dark, dark evergreens and the backcountry vine maples, big leaf maples are all just popping right now. I literally just got back from a hike and scrambled in to hop on the, the podcast. So I'm reporting to you almost from the field. <laughs> uh, and, and by quite, the way, you've almost. got blue, you've got blue staining all around your face. You've been eating a lot of berries. Yeah. No. <laughs> if only that were true. <laughs> I did earlier okay. this year, but we had a really dry year here. So we just don't have quite as many berries as we normally do this time of year in the backcountry. And, and uh, the book for people who want to get it on Amazon. It's Fall Color Hikes, Washington. Okay. And here, I, I've been hearing about fall hikes down here in Vegas. People are driving to, you know, nearby mountains and uh, Mount Charleston and um, over in uh, um, Arizona. And uh, Steve, what about in, uh, what about where you are at in, in Malibu? Los California? Angeles, yes. Here yeah. in Los Angeles, the, um, the freeways take on a whole different color in the fall, you know, it, uh, actually, you know, uh, Los Angeles has seasons. And if you live here long enough, you can sort of tell when they are. And uh, fall is uh, colloquially referred to as fire season here. So we don't uh, look at the foliage so much as we hope it doesn't go up in flame. Sure. And you check with your insurance guy to make sure your premiums are up to date. To make sure we're covered. Is- exactly. And, and the I'm red from the brake lights is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The bright I'm, I'm happy there's nothing year. in the news right now about those fires. So it seems to be a quiet year, right? No, we had a lot of rain. We had all the rain that Tammy was missing up in Washington. Um, I did grow up with tamaracks, though, Tammy, because my uh, yeah? my family vacationed in the Adirondack Mountains when I was growing up in upstate New York. And so we stole them from the from the mountains uh, and brought them home one year, built a huge row of them. And they were really nice because Syracuse is, after Seattle, the second least sunny city in the United States. And the Tamaracks would obligingly lose all their needles in the winter. So we'd get a little more of what little sunlight there was in Syracuse, New York. And in the winter, they had this beautiful soft green, summer rather, they had this beautiful soft green color. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they're awesome trees. Awesome, awesome trees. Yeah, they like they like that that sunny sort of dry climate. So I'm kind of interested to hear how you transplanted them because I've heard that that's pretty tough to do. But you guys must have had a green thumb. Uh, I guess my mother did. Yeah, she grew stuff all over the place. I have, I think, a black thumb actually. Um, But my mom was. I'm good at vegetables, okay, but trees not so much. Uh, But she. She could transplant anything. So I think we borrowed them. And uh, for some reason, they worked. I think they were maybe more wet loving tamaracks than what you have in Washington state. I don't know that they're exactly the same tree, but they were called tamaracks, lost their needles in the winter. They are a, a slightly different subspecies. There's 10 different varieties of larch trees in the world, and tamarack is a slightly different one. Here in Washington, we have a western larch tree and the subalpine larch tree. So those are the two we have here. 
Uh, in the Western, they're super tall. They're just really beautiful and they're tall and they're very conical shaped, whereas the sub subalpine are shorter and they're the messy haired kids of the forest. Like they've always got one branch going this way and one going this way. Their needles are shorter. Um, they're just, they're beautiful trees, but they're, uh, yeah, they have a shorter growing season and they do strange things with their limbs. <laughs> Bob's sitting there going, how did this podcast Get into it's funny because I don't know any of this stuff, but I love hearing people who know stuff that I have no clue because then I can ask dumb questions. Um, I have to tell the story, Steve, to you of how I met Tammy. Um, we moved to this neighborhood out in North Bend and um, and it was a, it was a nice uh, group of neighbors for a while. We used to get together for happy hours and and everybody was different in the neighborhood. You know, there were people who were retired. There were people who ran the service stations in town and, and Tammy and Vilness were, you know, I believe Vilness is in the high tech. And, but everybody told me about Tammy. It was like, oh, meet Tammy. She is an amazing, brilliant superwoman. She used to work at RAI. She used to teach. And now she, she, she just writes books and explores nature. You know who I'm talking about, right? It would be Rich Posnick who would have said this. Yeah. She's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, wow, I can't wait to meet this super person. And, um, and you know, and, and it was like, oh, then they have this beautiful house and they throw dinner parties and everything. And you know what? You really are all of that because we go, fantastic dinner parties and we meet these new neighbors. But, but, but what I uh, found out after a while is you are, I mean, you live the outdoors. You, um, we'll talk about the triple crown and how almost nobody can do that. Uh, but somehow, and it happened to me as a kid and it happened to Steve because we both love to hike. By the way, Steve and I, favorite thing to do is hike. We would almost never get together without booking a hike. So that's why I, I love that. Nice yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But what I'm curious about is when you were a girl growing up to uh like who influenced you or did you did you hike to get away did you one time discover a hike and say this how did this become you know it's like asking um uh, you know eddie van halen what what made you pick up the guitar <laughs> so i'm curious about that for you right um well first off may i just say when it, when we when you guys moved into this neighborhood, what I heard was there's a super big celebrity who's this big radio guy. Wait till you meet him. Um, but our, our paths were destined to cross. And I think probably we paralleled on that outdoor plane more than almost anything else. But uh, yeah, I got into the outdoors. You know, I've always done it. I was I'm a third generation Washingtonian born and raised in the state. And it's pretty hard to not hike when you live here. This state is so beautiful in fact today i was just on a hike with um three other people and the whole hike we were just kind of obnoxiously going we're so lucky to live here uh there's the cascades craggy and rugged and beautiful and alpine lakes and there's so much to see in our backcountry uh when i was a kid you know we did a lot of hiking and backpacking and things like that and my uncle 
was really into it. And he had this big garage full of all these really cool things. And I would go in there and look, what's this for? What's this for? You know? And so eventually we started backpacking and hiking. And then in college, when I was super stressed out, I found myself dragging uh, books up to the tops of peaks. That was my library. I didn't like to study in libraries. I didn't want like any sort of noise, whispering, any of that. I would rather be covered in ants at the top of a peak <laughs> than sitting in a building. Um, and so, and so that was college. And then, as I kind of got my major and started, so wait a doing if, I, if I may interrupt, you're, it, it's in other words, you didn't even discuss like not wanting to hike and then learning to love it. It was it was bred into you. Like I, I didn't. Have you met lazy people? You must know a few lazy people. All of us. Oh, a couple. Right? I you, met a couple yeah. in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you say hike, they would go. They literally will go. Why would you do that? Why would you go out and yeah? I have a friend who said, I, "I'm not going to go hiking with you because I don't like to sweat." Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, "None of really? that." I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's all down. Just telling you it's can all shower. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you were just into it. Uh, so yeah. what yeah. about so so? There's hiking, and then there's what you do, um, the Appalachian Trail. The Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide, these, these, uh, these cross over the entire. I mean, you must feel like you've seen so much of the country. Um, when you first have the thought of doing something like that, what's that like? And 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 is it just? I mean, is it just because it's there and it's built in you? And maybe I'm not going to get reasons why. <laughs> it's it's a really great question, Bob. I'm not sure anybody has ever really asked me that before. I it is in me. It's just what I do. It's like eating. I don't know. It's just what you do. You just eat because you're hungry. You hike because it makes you feel good, right? It's just probably the worst addiction I could have picked <laughs> because <laughs> I must hike a lot. <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, it's um, you know, I I started in, in college, I started doing marketing and I was kind of following my head more than my heart. I was going based on what everybody has always told you, which is, you know, find your career, find your profession, find your niche, make your money. Uh, and I quickly realized that wasn't working for me. I was not cut out to sit at a desk and work in a corporate environment, report to a CEO and all this. And so I needed to find a way to make money that was going to be um, along the path that would also keep me happy. Right. And I think that's what all of us kind of need to do in our lives. And sometimes we stumble around and we never find that I was kind of in that place at one point. And then I started, um, I got laid off my job. It was sort of serendipitous at the time. I thought it was catastrophic and what am I going to do? And there was lots of stress and tears. And, um, but then, you know, these things happen and you quickly realize that maybe there's another plan for you that you couldn't see the big picture of. And so there was a new REI store going in not far from where I lived at that time. And I told my husband, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go work retail. I, I want to sell things. I want to sell packs to people. And he was just like, okay. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because, yeah, <laughs> because, you know, I had this fairly lucrative marketing job at this high tech company. It was all bougie and great and all that. And then, um, then I went to sell packs and I fell in love with selling packs to people. I love to hear their stories, what they were doing. I wanted to hear more. 
from retail, it went to um, project management. It went to a technical advisor on the REI catalog photo shoots. It went to outdoor instructor. I was a professional backpacking guide in Mount Rainier National Park. It went to me teaching a lot of classes. So I started teaching a lot of outdoor pursuit classes. And one of them I taught was the Wonderland Trail. And I was teaching this class over and over. And every time I taught it, my handout was getting thicker and thicker. And I was like, geez, at one point I was standing by the copier watching it go. Zh, zh, zh. <laughs> I was like, look at all this paper. There needs to be a book. Who, you know, so I started doing some research on how I could write a book. And that's how kind of organically this path came about. Um, and then I was able to sort of pursue this book writing career. And, uh, and, and when I think about all these things magically sort of falling together, I have to tell people, I guess anybody listening, if you're someone who is struggling with like, what do I do with my life moments? There are signs, right? So all along there had been signs. So I had won an essay contest like way back when in high school and was transported to Washington, D.C. to read it for the president, the whole thing. And then at some point um, I had gone into marketing and I, I gravitated towards customer case studies. I was doing a lot of writing. Um, I had won some poetry contests. I had done all this writing and it felt right for me, but I was writing about kind of the wrong things, right? I was kind of doing it for money. Um, when I started writing about the outdoors, it flowed like a waterfall out of me because I started watching these people in these Wonderland Trail classes wanting to know and, and having all these questions and knowing the answers and being able to intelligently share this with them and watch how excited they were. And then we kept in touch. And so I would watch their journeys through the Wonderland Trail all the way, you know, until they finished and they would share these photos with me. And I felt like a part of it and it was really great. And so from there, the writing just continued and now I'm the author of five books and a smartphone app and <laughs> I'm working on two more. So the, uh, the way I met you, we've had one meeting. I don't know if you know this, but Bob brought me over to your house to talk about our Wonderland trail hike before Bob went out to do it because I did the first five days of it with Bob. And so he said, Oh, you've got to meet. Tammy, she's an expert. She wrote the book. And so we went over to your house and I have, actually don't remember what you said, but we had a great hike. So it must've been really good. <laughs> must've been impactful. And we definitely consulted the, <laughs> consulted the book along the way. So no, really the greatest hike of my life, because it was, you know, close to, is it close to a hundred miles in about seven days? Uh, yeah, it's 93 of, miles. Uh, yeah. Thank you. To, she would to be fair, I only did the first one five seven. Yeah, I, I only did the first four days, but it was great. Yeah, uh, it's wonderful, and and that's your gift uh, to other people, Tammy. You're a teacher and a facilitator, and you bring that. And and by the way, all of her books for anybody who wants to try hiking. And if you don't want to try hiking, the pictures are freaking awesome. I mean, all you need is pictures, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, in the fall hikes book, I included eight uh, scenic drives for just those people you described. And maybe someone ah. who's recovering from knee surgery or like someone that has little kids, someone that can't hike right now for some reason or another, um, because they too need to see fall. Hiking from your RV. That's your next book. That, I love it. That's very good. <laughs> Hiking the next for the lazy man. Lamping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Lamping and then RV hiking. All right. Well, let's, uh, I have a question. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Steve. So, so Tammy, I have two kids. One loves to hike. She worked at REI for a number of years. 
Um, she's a reliable hiker. She's hiked all over New Zealand by herself. I've done big mountains with her. My other kid hates to hike. Now, I love them both equally, but I couldn't get him to hike a quarter of a mile if there's a hill involved. So my question for you is, what do you think parents have to do to get their kids interested in or excited about hiking? Well, Steve, coming from you, this is probably going to be a really crazy response, but I would say put a camera in their hand. That's what I tell, especially young parents. Let's do a, Let's figure out how to make this fun for them. You obviously are an expert in video. What if you were to tell your son, like, let's make some, let's write a screenplay about this day. What, what's going to happen and make it fun. Give them creative energy, like give them something other than this is just a death march of uphill grind. Right. And, and this is true for little people too, like small kids too. give them an opportunity to find something like, okay, today's job, today's goal. We're going to take a picture of the reddest leaf we can find. And then we're going to identify it, maybe give it an identity. You know, this is going to be Caroline, the red leaf or whatever. I don't know. Make a story of it. Have fun. Give them energy to, to play and have just all that fun stuff that kids do, you know, make a color book out of it. I don't know. Just, find a way to put a camera in their hands that it's amazing what happens. Have you ever done, uh, is this reminds me of, of something about maybe you've done it. Geocaching. Oh yeah. Yeah. Geocaching is really okay. fun. Actually. That's a, yeah, that's another great one for kids. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yep. You, you basically put someone, uh, you put something somewhere, a treasure of some sort. It, it could be a box of fruit loops. Maybe it's not really a treasure, but you, uh, it, it, you, you, essentially navigate your way to it using a GPS. I want to ask a little bit about um, uh, some of the some of the most um, challenging things you've done, because I know now you've you've done these three trails. You've you know, most people could not complete the thousand twelve hundred. 1600 miles or actually isn't one of them over 2000 is not the pacific crest it's over 2000 uh, miles, right? pct is 2650 the at is 2200 and the cdt is 3100 <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. all over 2000 <laughs> okay yeah um when doing something like that which uh steve no matter how hard he tries he's not going to trick his kid into one of those hikes <laughs> no um, <laughs> doing something like that talk about the mindset before you get started uh, a little bit, I mean, we can't have a full course in planning and preparation, but how does, how does something like that come together? And then when you're on it, what's it like? Yeah. So I would say, uh, you know, what you have to start off with is kind of where are your resupply points, what trail towns are you planning on stopping at? Cause you're thinking about this now. Okay. You have this giant goal, right? It's five months. We'll say five months just for planning purposes, even though, Sometimes it's four, depending on your pace. But anyway, five months, five months of being away from home, five months of resupplying in these small towns. Now you're going to be thinking about all those resupplies because this is where's your food going to come from? Where are your next pair of shoes going to come from? What happens if maybe you have a special medication or dietary need that you have to have along with you, which complicates things a bit too. But there's plenty of people out there like that, that only eat you know keto or eat whatever. Um, and so you have to kind of figure out like what towns are going to be the best towns for me to stop or what have the most resources. So that's where for me on my trails, the studying has always been is figuring out what towns Research. I'm going to stop at. And 
Yeah. Go figure. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So you're studying, wow. you're researching, Planning. figuring all that. <laughs> Yeah. So, but state by state, right? So I kind of, I kind of try to block it off into approximate hundred mile segments. Could be a little more, could be 120. It's been up to 180, depending on when I want to stop. But, uh, and then, you know, taking a look at sort of the elevation profile on your mapping software, on your maps, physical maps, your hard copy, and then figuring out like, what is, what are my days going to look like? How hard is this? How many days in between each of these resupplies? And then once you kind of have a handle on that, then you're kind of starting to do your box prep. So my basement before I do these looks like an empty, uh, it's just a giant sea of boxes. And each one of them has a label and each one of them has an address of where it will be sent. And each one of them has a mileage in between and approximate how many days of food and supplies that box is going to contain. So when you get out there, actually, this is kind of funny too. So you might think, oh my gosh, I love, we'll say cliff bars. Okay. I love cliff bars are my jam. I'm going to pack a pumpkin spice cliff bar in every single box because I love them so much. And then you get out there and you get your box and you're like, uh, cliff bars. <laughs> I really don't <laughs> want those right now because your body starts craving different things and you actually start getting sick of the foods you think you're going to love. So it's funny. Things change while you're out there a lot. Um, but you got to do so it. So let me get you this straight. You're saying that Uber Eats does not deliver to the Pacific Crest Trail. <laughs> <laughs> funny you should say that. Occasionally, you can get pizzas delivered to the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, all right. It, okay. It's pretty crazy. Right. Like if you're staying, if you're staying it, sometimes it passes through like car campgrounds or various areas and pizzas can be delivered to this area. Same with the AT, same with the CDT. Um, on the AT, we actually did have a restaurant deliver burgers to a park, which was magic <laughs> trail. Oh, magic. I, would think, I would think that guide alone would be worth a fortune. I would pay almost any amount to have a burger delivered at some point on a trail. At a, almost yes, at any a certain amount. point. Yeah. yeah. It's like a <laughs> yeah. dog at an airport. It could, it, it, they're going to charge whatever <laughs> they charge for it. Um, That's it. I, I, I should point out anybody who's listened to this podcast for a long time might remember that when Tammy was doing the Appalachian Trail, which was her triple of the Triple Crown, we for several months checked in with her from uh elevation and it, when she could get a cell phone signal and we did live reports from the trail and so uh, from those reports i understand a little bit of how it feels and of course i've i've done some of this hiking to the wonderland trail there is something so peaceful and um and i'm going to use the word a pleasant disconnected from civilization news um, as much as I love everyone in my life, complete freedom from having to talk to anybody. <laughs> and there's, um, <laughs> there's a, there's a kind of peace that I've experienced and, and I'm sure Steve has, you've probably experienced it times 10. Uh, describe that, um, describe that thing you can only get by doing this. Well, I think we're all our own best friends whether we actually connect with ourselves in that way or not. Um, you start to realize that when you're out there, like you, you know, having your own schedule and your own pace and being able to do 
uh, your own sort of agendas and make your own decisions, be, whether they be good or bad, um, is, is pretty cool. But also agree, I 100% agree with you on the disconnect because it almost feels weird to ride in a car again after you've been on the trail for a month. It feels like everything is going by with windows very fast. Um, you know, I always kind of go back to like a primitive lifestyle. What were we like as human beings back in the day before we had all this stuff? And it was super, it's super fun to think about. And, and there probably were many, many days when you were out doing your hunting and gathering where you didn't speak to anyone and you had to be quiet because you were stalking, right? You were trying to find sustenance. And I sort of wonder sometimes if maybe that's why we're sort of drawn to these long trails a little bit, maybe somewhere in our primitive human there is sort of a hard wiring of us wanting to be out there and wanting to be quiet and wanting to listen for things. The other thing that I find so interesting is when you have been out there for a while, your skills sharpen as far as your senses. So you can hear people talking way further away than you may in your you know, daily life, just sitting around somewhere. Um, and I think it's because you're so, you tune in with the sounds of, leaves falling or, or uh, rain dropping on foliage or crunching of footsteps. But that sound of a human voice is not often in your day to day all the time. So when you hear it, it it's like you hone in a little bit. Also smells um, like the smell of earthiness, the darkness of decaying leaves, that kind of stuff. It really starts to build up your, your sort of sensory perception. And you can sometimes get uh, a sense of if there's wildlife around or <laughs> another hiker <laughs> um, before you see them. <laughs> so, so you're more but likely you, to you... smell a hiker or wildlife <laughs> first. <laughs> well, there may be a question as to which one it is. It could yeah, be either. Yeah. That's yeah. well, what's, it, what's it like to disconnect from the phone? Um, it's really awesome. I mean, I love, like you say, Bob, you know, we all love each other and being connected, but screen time is exhausting. There's always something pinging and dinging and something to respond to. And for some reason in this world of social media and like connection and branding and who we are and all this, we always feel this obligation to constantly be updating and responding. And it's like, it, it's a lot. And when you're doing this all day long, it, it's, you know, in your daily life, you don't realize how much time that's taking from you. And when you disconnect from that, there's this awesome beauty of just not people knowing you cannot get to a phone. You are, you know, and so it's it's just this feeling of relaxing and not having to be super responsive. And it's kind of 1983, <laughs> a little bit more. So um, at this point in a conversation, when we're talking with non-hikers, they'll always, uh, it always comes down to, aren't you afraid? What about yeah. bears? <laughs> what about rattlesnakes? What about, you know, uh, bad people? Which, to which I always say there's more bad people in the parking lot than there ever are in the woods. Right, but, um, <laughs> right. But you are, when you're out there, you're an animal in the wild yourself. So um, there, there is an element of danger always. I mean, it's an element of danger. No matter where you are. Yeah. No matter where you are. But it's it's got to be different when you're alone, is it? 
this is a hard question for me to answer because I spend so much time alone that it's very comfortable for me. I am, I don't live in a world of fear. I just, I'm not scared. I sleep like a champ through the night. I hike by day, greeting everyone I meet. I do pay attention to things. You know, I'm more tuned in. If, if, if the red flag is going up, it's because I've had many years of normal and I know what that looks like. So I know when it's not. Um, but I generally don't worry. Um, animals are predictable. People a little less so. But for the most part, even the unusual birds are usually pretty cool once you get to know them. So I don't know. I just, I, I just try to live... Um, in a, in a land of positive, which people could say maybe is a little naive, but it's, um, you know, I'm, uh, always prepared. Um, never scared, I guess maybe is a good way to put that. Just. I'm thinking back to last year when we did a podcast and I don't, I think it was, you were hiking out West and you were hiking at night and you told the story of walking at night and then boom, right in front of you is a curled up rattlesnake. Rattlesnake, yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, even yeah. then your adrenaline, it doesn't get going? It, of course it gets Bob going. Bob hates right rattlesnakes, by it, the way. I, <laughs> Bob, you need Lisa to make Lisa won't even go, them. Lisa, by the way, we go to Sloan Canyon back here. It's a six foot wide family trail and she gets out and she's like afraid of rattlesnakes. And I am a little God bit too. So her. I am curious how you handle that. Yeah. Um, I have a theory about that. I think people that were raised in, I, I don't know, maybe it's this crazy theory, but my theory is people that were raised with snakes being venomous and being kind of scary are much more highly, um, I don't know, just anxious about the snakes because in here in Washington, aside from the snakes over on the other side of the Cascades in Western Washington, we pretty much have garter snakes and a few others that are, you know, just kind of cool. They don't, Armless. they're not, yeah. Uh, they're not, yeah, they're, they're, they're not a threat. So um, I don't have that like super high wired knee jerk reaction. When I see a snake, I just kind of look at it. Um, the rattlesnakes, they're much more so. Yeah. Coming through the continent, that was on the continental divide trail coming through New Mexico on the continental divide. There were so many rattlesnakes. So, so many and half uh, as a quick calculation, looking back, only half rattled. And one of them, as you mentioned, was this one and I walked right by it. But when I saw it, I didn't do the giant step out of the way. It was more like, it was so cold. This poor thing was curled in a little ball and then it slowly unslithered and crawled, you know, went across the trail, uh, probably super annoyed that I had come along because it was sleeping and mm. warm. <laughs> um, but you know, they're on the, they're on the diet of birds of prey. They're not getting away with just being mean and crazy. They're, they're scared too. So I think when you think of it that way, it'd be a little less terrifying, but you do have to be careful. That said, I use trekking poles. If I'm in an area where there's lots of dense brush, sometimes I'll kick the brush a little bit in front. Like if I'm yeah, on, yeah. you know, in an area like the CDT, but yeah, I've, I've have when, hiked when with I your hike wife, with Bob, and I, I saw her fear. <laughs> Is some of what when, you're when saying? I hike with Bob here in, uh, Go ahead. When I hike with Bob here in Los Angeles, I have to take a broom and sweep the trail and then set <laughs> off a siren. And we also have a vibrating thumper that thumps the ground oh. and then it's okay for well, him to walk. Yeah. Some, some of what I hear you saying, Tammy, is actually very logical. Um, and, and now that I hear you say it is that 
we're not really um, their prey. We're, we aren't their uh, prey. They're going to, they're going to strike you if they feel threatened. Right. So the, the key right, is to right. not get them to feel threatened. If you're behaving erratically and running like a crazy person through brush, but a trail, I mean, they're on the trail, they're on the trail and the piece, they're on the trail of pretty much all these and, and on the AT you have copperheads, you know, so you have, there's venomous snakes on all these big trails and just like bears, there's bears on all of them. I mean, you can be aware and know that they're out there and just do your best to stay away from them and let them give, give them their space. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what is the alternative? Not going because you're afraid of a rattlesnake? <laughs> like, Not for you. You know, isn't. I mean, really, when you think about it, I, I mean, maybe some people Air would, would, well, I guess, yeah, <laughs> we could That's light amazing. the place on and fire. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Tammy Asars, you can you can see what she's all about and link to all the books at TammyAsars.com. That's T-A-M-I-A-S-A-R-S, TammyAsars.com. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, by the way, I didn't like hiking. I, I, I got dragged onto hikes because it was a way to go smoke pot with a friend of mine. And um, and he tricked me. Um, because he, he, he said, we're going on this hike. We're going to smoke pot at the top of this mountain ridge. And I got up there and it was beautiful stars. And there was cannabis. And, um, and, I, and I went all the way up. I was like, this is hard. Why am I doing this? I'm breathing heavy. What am I, why am I not sitting on the couch? Um, but when I got to the top, I, I remember having this feeling like, wow, delayed gratification it makes something all the more valuable that you had to work hard for it. And the other thought that I had a bunch of times in my childhood and I, and I very rarely get to experience again, but I bet you do. When you get away from noise pollution, light pollution, and you find yourself somewhere where looking up, you see a universe. Does that, um, you know, does that inform your feelings about meaning of life and, and, and all of the, you know, what's important versus how small we are, you know, those kind of things. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you know, and, and I mean that, that's a, a big part of it is just seeing all the yourself in those natural elements. You don't get to marinate in that in your day-to-day -day life, you know, for five months. So it's pretty cool to see that and how you fit into that picture um, you know, it's, it's pretty special. And then the other part of this through hiking that really also, and just hiking in general, uh, hits home is how freaking amazing humanity is just how kind human beings are because we're just peppered with bad news all the time. And you get out there and there's someone who's like, Oh yeah, come to my house. I'm having spaghetti and you can take a shower and wash your clothes. And it's a complete stranger. And there's someone's mother that sees, you know, just kindness and being a trail angel and wanting to help hikers. And this isn't a charity. We're not doing this for, um, you know, some sort of fundraising for some amazing thing. It's because you're on a personal journey. And so they're taking their time to really just share whatever they have. And they're willing to do that with strangers. And that's really cool. There's people that stop on the side of the road and hand you a bag of cherries and want to just know where'd you come from? And it's really cool to see that the generosity of human beings and the kindness of complete strangers. You just don't get to see that that much in your day-to-day -day life, but you see that so much on the trail. I remember that real well. Steve and I also on the Wonderland trail, 
and a bunch of that. Tammy, thank you so much for uh, being with us. And um, Steve, Steve Stockman, my friend for probably 35 years, the author of How to Shoot Videos That Doesn't Suck. But you also have a, you are also a teacher. You have a training course coming out, right, Steve? I have a, a new video course based on the book, How to Shoot Video That Doesn't Suck. And uh, I'm excited about it. And your son helped me direct it. He's amazing. <laughs> what can I say? I have no idea why. Um, anyway, thank you both. And, uh, and and I hope everybody enjoyed that. And if it'll give you the impetus to get a little bit closer to nature and uh, and enjoy this wonderful fall weather we're having. Cheers. Be well, everybody.